Mailbag Spectacular. I am your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. Here we are. Eight years ago, I launched this show with three episodes. Episode one was Mike Gone, three-time Lifetime Achievement Award winner in PR. Second episode was Cindy Sovine at the time, a lobbyist, political consultant. She's still doing that. Transitioned into the cannabis industry. And the third one was Jason Calloway, the owner of Rooster and Moon. Now, here we are, 322 numbered episodes prior to this. There are something like 50 more. I have a handful of unnumbered solo ones, and then I have a bunch of first jobs that I did when I was doing that series. So it's something like, I should really tally this up, but like 380 episodes that I have total. That is a long time to be talking. That is a long time to hear your own voice. And sometimes I'm worried that there's like this sociopathic instinct in me to where I need to keep doing this. And I worry it's about me. I worry it's about ego because it's a real kind of arrogant thing to be like, no, I have a show that I think other people will like that other people want to listen to. They want to listen to me. That's fucked up. And I hate that part. Believe it or not, it, I know there are those of you out there listening to this that don't believe me. That's fine. Believe whatever you want. But there's a part of me that's deeply, deeply uncomfortable with that. And I've learned to just sort of deal with that and be like, you know what? It is what it is. People will either listen or they don't. You get feedback. People like this show. That's great. But I've spent all that time trying to put the focus on my guests Help people tell their story. That's why this show exists. There are so many cool, interesting, wonderful, and beautiful people out there with awesome stories to tell, and they never get the chance to tell it. People just simply don't ask them enough about themselves. And so I've said this before on the show, but there are times where people get nervous when they come on this show. They're like, ah, geez, you know, you really want to talk to me? My job isn't that interesting. And I go, no, 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 bullshit. You just haven't been asked the right questions. And I like to think that I ask good questions. And I've been told that I ask good questions. I get great feedback from my guests. I get nice feedback from listeners when they happen to cross paths with me in real life or whatever. They're like, man, your show's good. You, you ask really cool questions. And I go, thank you. That's what I'm trying to do. And so when it comes to anniversaries... I'm like, how can I cut this shit a little bit differently, right? How can I give you something that I'm not giving you every week already? And so this time, I'm like, okay, it's been eight years, and it's been a while since I've done one of these. Let's do a mailbag episode, but let's do it a little bit differently. So here's what I did. I reached out to some past guests, and I just kind of started picking people at random, who was in my phone, who had I thought about? Who was in my email inbox? Who did I think would respond right away? And I sent out just a bunch of questions. Or, or not questions, but I sent out requests to people. And I was like, hey, 
I'm doing a mailbag episode. I asked you a bunch of questions. You've been on my show before. Ask me anything you want. It can be about the show. It can be about my life. It can be some goofy weirdo hypothetical. I don't really care. Just ask me a question. So had my guests turn the tables on me and send me a bunch of questions. Now, I ended up with a shitload of these. And because it's my eighth anniversary, I go, you know what? I'm going to pick eight of them, and I'm going to answer eight of them in this kind of format. We'll do it here live. Not live, but I'm doing this unscripted. As you've seen, I've already fucked up a couple of times, and I'm not going to go back and fix it because I feel like if I do, that ruins some of the authenticity because it's me here talking by myself. And if I cut this thing up too much, then it just becomes another dumbass produced product. But I want this to feel as authentic as possible. So... I got the questions in advance. I did not write down my answers at all, but I have thought about them. So whatever comes out here is going to come out. Now, I started to feel bad because I'm like, I got great questions and I got a ton of them, but I'm not going to get to all of them because, I mean, who the hell wants me to sit here for two fucking hours just answering these questions like on and on and on? You don't want that. I don't want that. And Ringo here definitely doesn't want that, which is a nice Pulp Fiction reference for those of you who caught it. So I'm like, okay, I will put the other questions, everything else I got asked, in Friday's companion mailbag piece. So we got eight here. We got a bunch more on Friday. But these are my guests coming at me with whatever they thought to ask. And these are fun. Like, they range from pretty deep and meditative is, I guess, a good word for it. Reflective is another one. To downright fucking insane and just pure goofiness, and we'll get to that too. So this is fun. I, I'm, I'm digging what's happening here. First of all, before we do that, I just have to say, for eight years, thank you for letting me be a part of your life. If you were listening to this now, it means you have had some interaction with this show in some form or fashion over the last eight years. And for that, I am infinitely grateful. This show exists because of you. I mean, I could just ask people about their jobs all the time. I do it. Anyone who's ever been in an Uber with me or a cab knows that I make small talk with those types of folks all the time. I'm the type of person who, when I travel by myself, I'll sit at the bar and just start talking to the fucking bartender. It's like real writerly shit where, you know, like you'll read a biography of some author and they're like, you know, I love going to a new town and just sitting by myself and talking to the bartender. I actually do that and I actually enjoy that. So... That's who I am. I would do this without a microphone in front of me, but because you're on the other end listening to it, it becomes a richer and more rewarding experience, and I hope you get something out of it. And in my however many 380-some-odd shows, I hope you've gotten something out of it. And presumably you have because you're listening to me talk stream of consciousness once again. So here we go. Eighth anniversary mailbag. I have eight questions. Let's go to question number one. This one comes from... Ashley Garrison. And Ashley Garrison is the co-owner of the Hop Handcrafted Ice Cream in Asheville, North Carolina. She's also one of someone I count as one of my best friends of my life. Made friends with her in Texas. We've kept in touch ever since. And she's just an absolute ray of sunshine. So here's her question. As a parent and business owner, what's your daily routine look like? How is your work-home balance? Now, I chose this as my lead-off question because I'm going to give up a little bit of secret sauce on the show. When I get done with my intro and there's that brief sound cue, you come in listening to a guest answer a question that you did not hear. So they're mid-answer to a question that I asked 
that you were not privy to. And a lot of times my go-to question is something like, okay, so today's Wednesday. What's a typical Wednesday look like for you? And they will describe that in whatever detail they want to go. And then sometimes their answer isn't all that fulfilling. I woke up, had coffee, you know, dropped the kids off at school, and I go, okay, yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, And as we get talking, I will pick it up from another question they ask. But I realized I almost never talk about my own routine on here. So here we go. What's my daily routine look like? Well, my kids wake up with the fucking sun. So that's number one. That's great. I don't know what it is or where they got this from, but holy shit. Grace in particular wakes up so goddamn early and like half the time just gets up, makes her bed and gets dressed and comes downstairs. Meanwhile, Kristen and I are like, okay, why are you awake, child? And then because she's seven, starts talking. And so you're on right away. Last Saturday, the day before the time change, she was up so early. Both kids were. They were up by 6.15. They both have, uh, they're called okay to wake clocks, which means they can't come out of their room until the light on that clock goes off. That's set for 6.15. That was as late as we were allowed to push it. Because Grace would tell us, like, I'll be laying in there and I'm bored and I want to come out. And it's like, holy shit, child. Like, what do you have to do today? Where are you going that you have, like, this long agenda (laughs) that you got to get all this shit done? But last Saturday, she's like, can we do science? And I go, oh, my God. Like, they have this set that, like, you can make fake snow and, you know, there's, like, dyes and shit. And, like, there's all these things that you can do. And, like, it's actually pretty fun. But not... At 6.45 in the morning on a Saturday, when chances are probably close to 100% that I've been drinking already, and I'm going to have to do like 90% of this anyway. So I wake up, come downstairs. Kristen's frequently up first because she has to go to do a day job, but I'm not, I'm not far behind her. We get the kids ready. We get them off to school. We're usually watching like episodes of Bluey or The Simpsons or... Octonauts or God knows what else. Like, why is everything lately with like this British accent? And not and I know Bluey's Australian and I think Octonauts is too. But when I say British accent, I mean from like under the British Empire. And when you're tired for whatever reason, maybe this is my innate pissiness as an American. That just annoys the shit out of me. So anyway, we're watching a show. We get their lunches ready. We have to feed the dog, let the dog out, give the cat his pills. So there's like a lot of, call it homemaking administrative work. Frequently, we have to like empty the dishwasher. Uh, We have to tidy up a little bit because kids are just a trail of destruction. And then once they're out of the house, either Kristen or I will take them to school. It's usually Kristen. Um, Frequently, I will go catch a workout then. I will go over to Orange Theory and do that kind of early in the morning. Frequently, I'm doing some email stuff. I'm doing a little bit of work. But I'll go catch that, come home, and then I'm working pretty much all day. And whether that's editing a podcast, recording a podcast, writing something for a client, uh, corresponding with people, setting up meetings, whatever. I just have various work that I do throughout the day. But it's nice because I'm home. And so on my lunch break, I will usually stop, (laughs) drop, shut them down, open up shop, kidding, Uh, or... I will stop, make myself some lunch, and throw on something on the TV, which, like, the other day or the other week or whatever, I watched, like, Forrest Gump, 
over four like lunch breaks. I'll watch that like 20 to 30 minutes at a time just to sort of like reset throughout the day. And, you know, that's nice. I, as Kristen can attest to, I watch a shitload of old movies. Um, and then right around five, no, I usually shut it down about four or four thirty. That's when I start making dinner. I get dinner prepped, um, again, because I'm home and that's nice. Kristen usually arrives home with the kids at about 5.15 because they have before and after care at YMCA. Uh, and then we have dinner. We play for a while. Sloan is really into Mancala right now. If you're not into that, it's a turn strategy game with like gems in these little receptacles. And she's a fucking shark at it. Um, and now that it's light later, we'll go outside, ride bikes. We're usually, you know, just out in our front yard. We'll say hi to the neighbors and stuff. And the kids are in bed by eight. And then that's Kristen and I's time, and usually we're tired by like 9.30 or 10. So like that's my day. And I would say my work-home balance is pretty good. It's nice because sometimes I will take time in the middle of the day. Like the other week, it was 3 o'clock, and you can sign up for these little slots to read to Sloan's kindergarten class. So I did that. I read Iggy Peck Architect. And I go, you know what? My life is pretty good now. I like it. And it it's nice to have that flexibility, but I don't feel overscheduled. I don't feel resentful about any of my work. I'm in a really good place. That's my work-home balance. So great question, Ashley. Thank you so much. You were episode 299. Moving on, question two comes from Kyle Krieger. He was a guest on episode 56, which was, oddly enough, the laid-off special with Neil and Kyle. He was on that with Neil Ramirez. That was a fun chat. Kyle has a burgeoning creative sort of enterprise under his charge right now. It's fun watching him just, I think, exercise his creative muscles in a way that he hasn't gotten to in his entire professional career. And it's just, it's flowing out of him like he was a kinked garden hose. And now all of a sudden, he just, he can't stop it. And I'm so envious of that because sometimes I get a little burned out of my own creative shit and it's hard to get the juice going. But when I watch him, it's great. Here's his question. This is a question two. Reflecting back on our episode, we talked about layoffs, but now the them is flipped with the great resignation. For those looking to tell corporate America to fuck right off, what have you learned about the intersection of passion and career from your guests? Here's the thing about that. The people who are willing to be on this show have almost already self-selected to be on this show. There's very few people on this show that get like the Sunday night scaries that are just sort of middling about through their career. And when you work for a big company, you see a shitload of people who have gotten to a certain level and they've decided this is as hard as I want to work. This is the amount of responsibility I want to have. This is the amount of money I'm comfortable making because above this is going to either be a job I don't want to do or too much responsibility and the hard thing is, eventually those people, they get cut, man. Like, they're gone. So if you stagnate for too long, you're going to get laid off when the economy takes a shit. And they're kind of put to a decision about, what do I actually like to do? Who do I actually want to be? And that's not an easy question to answer if you're not thinking about it all the time in the way an entrepreneur is. An entrepreneur lives with fear every single day. And we're going to get to him in a minute, but uh, my friend J.D. Lopez hosts a show called Left Hand Right Brain, and he always asks people, what motivates you? And I think my answer was actually fear, because I don't want all this to go away. I like what I do. 
I really like this lifestyle. I just described for you my sort of day-to-day. I love that, man. Sometimes it gets, like anything else, a little repetitive, a little monotonous, a little tedious, whatever, right? But when you're an entrepreneur, you always got to push. You are always trying to satisfy your existing clients. You're always keeping your eyes up ahead for the next clients. And the hustle is just never-ending. So what have I learned about the intersection of passion and career? <laughs> Either when you are laid off or when who you have decided to take the leap and resign, and in Kyle's words, telling corporate America to fuck right off, it means that passion may not even be for the thing that you ostensibly do. Now, I know that sounds weird, but maybe you're good at accounting, right? Maybe that is your skill set. Maybe you're the best accountant and you go, I don't want to work for this big fucking firm anymore, or I don't want to work inside a corporation. I'm going to go out and get my own clients. That is a different kind of passion because I'll be honest, I'm not super passionate about everything that I do. I talk about ditch digging all the time when it comes to my work. There's so much shit that you have to do to get to like the 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, whatever percentage it is of the shit that you actually like to do. There's a lot of crap that you have to sort of slog through to get to that percentage. But the ability to slog through that to get to that point is where the passion comes in. It's the passion to get up and push, to get up and think to yourself, okay, I am going to do this. And the reason I'm going to do this, sometimes this is what motivates me. The faster I get this done, the sooner I can go do literally anything else. I am bound by nothing except for my own work ethic. And sometimes that laziness gets the best of me, like anyone else does. You procrastinate, you're lazy, you're sluggish. You got a project you don't love. But I think to myself, you know what? If I'm done with this, I go golfing. Or I could go read to Sloan's class, right? I could be a better father. I could take care of things around the house. I can do whatever I want. And so that, that to me, is where passion meets career. It means getting to write your own ticket. And that's what I remain passionate about. Do I love every single thing I do? No, of course not. No one does. But do I love the fact that I get to decide the types of people I get to work with, the types of work I want to pursue... And how quickly can I get that done of a high quality? Man, that's nice. That's freedom. That's fucking passion. That's what keeps me going as an entrepreneur. I love that shit. So hopefully that answered your question, Kyle. I don't know if it did, but uh, whatever. This is my show. We're doing this in one take. All right. Third question. This one comes from Molly Smith. She is a professional copywriter and host of the show, Did That Age Well, of which I was a guest She was episode 312. And her question is, which company or industry do you think has the most culty vibes? Nice. Solid. And there's really only one answer right now, and that's fucking crypto. Are you shitting me? Have you talked to someone who's into crypto? Of course you haven't, because they're talking to you. It's a lot like CrossFit, or in my case, Orange Theory. I will tell anyone who will listen how much I enjoy doing Orange Theory, much the way I used to make fun of CrossFitters for doing that same thing. So, in the words of Fry from Futurama, time certainly makes fools of us all. But, have you talked to someone about crypto? Did you watch the Super Bowl? Where they've got no less than Larry fucking David himself shilling for this bullshit. Like, literally, 
the the evangelical mindset of <laughs> of these crypto true believers is unreal. Like literally, if they were religious, they would be slinging for Jesus because that's how much they believe in blockchain. Don't ask someone who's into crypto about blockchain. They will tell you the most boring fucking story you've ever heard in your entire life about coding and very long and complex algorithmic math equations. And so what's what's most funny to me about this is I believe crypto is probably viable. I believe there's a path for it and a place for it in society. But it is so easily corruptible too, especially in its current form, especially when it comes to NFTs. And there have been so many bad actors in this crypto space that have sullied almost the entire thing to where if you're a normal person watching this and you're reading news coverage of it and seeing how many people get swindled out of actual real dollars for some crypto scam, it's mind-boggling. And there's a, there's a part of you that goes, I would never, ever put a single red cent into this. But you talk to a crypto person about it, they will just go full-on evangelical on you that by far and away has the most culty vibes, more than almost anything I've ever seen, excepting maybe CrossFit, Orange Theory, and anyone who gets into any like fitness trend and fucking loves it. So that's my answer. Good question, Molly. Thank you. Fourth question. Episode 95 was Kyle Clark, nine news anchor, journalist, creator of Next with Kyle Clark, a show that I really, really like. And I like what Kyle does, and I have great respect for what Kyle does. But, man, does he take heat. He takes heat from both sides. Like, people are pissed about pretty much anything Kyle's doing. And he told me when I interviewed him, he will get an email or, like, a tweet or whatever from someone on the right accusing him of being some, like, socialist fucking lefty. And he will get a tweet from someone on the left accusing him of being some, like, right-wing fascist. And so frequently, he'll just write an email to both of them and goes, you know what? You two figure it out. What is my bias? So this is what he wrote to me. He said, here's a question I think about daily. How do we convince people to value the truth? And wow, Kyle, uh, what a question, especially one for 2022, where getting your feet underneath you when it comes to figuring out the truth is not the easiest task in the world. It seems like it should be pretty easy. But when we're not starting from the same set of facts the way we used to, and I don't want to do like some hagiography of the past and look at it with rose-colored glasses because the past was deeply, deeply imperfect. And I think about this with regard to vaccines too. The scientific consensus here and the overwhelming scientific evidence is that Vaccines against COVID-19 are incredibly effective, and especially when it comes to preventing bad illness and death. Yet there are people out there who do not believe that and will not believe that no matter what you say. And that feels like something that's sort of new, but let's go back to earlier in this century when you had Jenny McCarthy peddling all her horse shit from a debunked paper about vaccines causing autism, so... That was fun to live through when you would read about whooping cough outbreaks uh, in preschoolers. 
And then you go back to, say, oh, I don't know, the Spanish flu. And you realize, oh, shit, this thing, the same thing was happening where there was a vaccine developed for that and an equal, if not larger, set of the population going, no, you're not doing that. That's not proven. That's not good for you. You're, it's worse. Like, your body has natural immunity. You go back to Ben fucking Franklin in the early days of this country whose child actually died of smallpox. The rumor was the child died of smallpox vaccine. Ben Franklin had to write an entire op-ed in the Philadelphia newspaper debunking that and espousing for the benefits of the vaccine. That's 250 goddamn years ago at this point to where people are still having these same tired arguments about vaccines. So I've done two vaccine shows on this. Uh, platform that I have here, which is to say, look, I don't have all the answers, but how do we get people to value the truth? The short answer is, I don't know, like writ large. But what I do know is I'm willing to eat shit pretty much any time. If I'm wrong, I'm okay with that. I'm not arrogant enough to believe that I have the right answer at all times. I'm not arrogant enough to think that I always get it right or that my process for understanding how we acquire knowledge is perfect. I mean, we're talking about an epistemological question here when you get right down to it. How do we know what we know? Well, you go back to Socrates or, you know, following Socrates, Plato and Aristotle. And I was reading a book by Chuck Klosterman and it's called, But What If We're Wrong?, Aristotle was wrong about almost everything, like when you get right down to it. There are some basic philosophical tenets that he got right, but when it came to practical knowledge about the real world, Aristotle was wrong about pretty much everything. And I think, and I don't know how we get here, but the world could use a big goddamn dose of humility. Like the willingness to accept that we might be wrong. That's okay with me. I've listened to the anti-vaxxers. I've read their arguments, and I've entertained the idea that, hey, you know what? Maybe I missed something here. Maybe there is something out there that I just whiffed on. But I looked at that. I looked at the other side, and I go, no, I don't think so. I think, I don't know, right? I think that this is more right. And my suspicion is, People have gotten to a point where they just don't like the idea of being wrong. And I don't know why. So my answer to this, Kyle, is I wish we could all spend a little more time with those we dis disagree with. I have friends on both sides of the political spectrum. I can listen to my friends on the left or my friends on the right and go, okay, I hear your point. I understand that, and I can think to myself, and that's still the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Does that make you a bad person? Not necessarily. No. If you're espousing an ideology that is actively harmful to someone else or to society or even to yourself, then, yeah, we're going to have a conversation about it, and you may not like what I'm going to have to say. But that's, goddamn, man, that's what knowledge is. We're all trying to be better people, or at least I hope we are. If we can entertain the idea that, hey, maybe we're wrong, then we tend to value the truth. We tend to value others a little bit more. And I can tell you personally, I am always, always, 
always suspicious when someone says to me, I've got the truth. No, you don't. No, you fucking don't. I've got the truth. No, you fucking don't. Be wary of people in matching t-shirts. Be skeptical of them. Be respectful. And as, as long as they're being respectful to you, which is another whole, like a whole other thing, we cannot control the way others act or what others say or what others do. But we can control the way we are. And as long as you're respectful, you go, okay, I heard your argument. Have you considered it this way? So I don't know, man. It gets me to a place of deeper truth when I, when I interact with the world that way. I hope everyone does the same thing. I'm skeptical of that because there are too many bad actors out there kind of trying to push us to, I don't know, believe one way or the other. It reminds me of, and I think, I can't remember where I talked about this, but this is why I'm always like suspicious of gurus where someone's like, I've got the secret to flipping houses and this is how you make a lot of money. Well, if you did, wouldn't you just be out flipping houses? Like literally, wouldn't you spend all your time just doing that instead of trying to sell this course to a bunch of suckers at some fucking airport right by or (laughs) some fucking airport, some fucking hotel out by the airport? Like you're filling this ugly ballroom with what you call our secrets and you're just giving them away for whatever it costs to attend one of these things like 200 bucks. Give me a break. Like you don't have shit. What you have is you're trying, you have a product that you're trying to sell. So I don't know who's selling the product. What's their motive behind it? Be skeptical, be respectful, go in with curiosity and let's increase our humility. I don't know. It's a heavy question. And it's one that I kind of grapple with too, because it's hard to exist right now. I mean, certainly from a, from a certain perspective, I, I have it really, really well. I'm starting to ramble here, but it's hard to get your feet under you and, and orient yourself correctly. So anyway, heavy question. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate your work. Um, let's go on to question five here and let's change gears entirely. This one comes from Drew McGarry, who is a columnist at Defector at uh, SF Gate. He's also uh, written a bunch of books that I love. The most recent one um, is called The Night the Lights Went Out. It's all about when he had a traumatic brain injury. Um, I love that. I loved Point B. Love the hike. I uh, think the, love the postmortal even. I mean, he's one of my favorite people. He's been on the show twice. He was on uh, episode 250 and episode 139. So here's Drew's question. If you could own a pet monkey, so serious, vibe change. If you could own a pet monkey and knew it would bo- both be safe and relatively clean to do so, would you? Well, okay, so those are a couple of big caveats, Drew. First one, if you knew it would be safe, I'm not convinced if I lived with a monkey that at some point it wouldn't just tear my face off. Like, that frightens me to my very core. There was that woman that Oprah interviewed who, like, had the veil over her face, who... She had a pet monkey that just at one point ripped her entire face off. And I think about that pretty much any time I'm near a monkey. So first of all, that's a big caveat. I'm not fully convinced we could ever be sure of that. Relatively clean, okay. I mean, relative is sort of uh, an interesting term because I live with two young children. But would I do that? No, is the easy answer. Um, and putting aside my fear, let's say I get over that and I wake up tomorrow and go, you know what? I have no fear of monkeys. I, I would, you know, they're, they're delightful creatures and I'm sure they are. Here's the thing, man. I don't need more shit to do. 
Like, I already have a pretty full plate to where adding a monkey? Like, a monkey. We added a dog, and I'm not terribly thrilled with every aspect of owning a dog. <laughs> like, literally, that added more tasks and more labor and more shit to think about and more cost. Owning a monkey, man? Like, that's <laughs> not a monkey man, but owning a monkey... Jesus, that is an even higher degree of difficulty, and I'm not looking to add. It's kind of like when in the birdcage, they're trying to get the apartment ready for when Gene Hackman and Diane Weist are coming down because they're these like fussy, stodgy conservatives from Ohio, and they don't want them to know that they're gay and own a drag club and all that. And he goes, he comes out, like Val comes out, and he goes, who put Playboy in the bathroom? And he goes, leave it. It's what they read. And he goes, don't add just subtract. And literally, that's kind of where I'm at in my life. I don't want to add more responsibility. I'm looking to subtract some. So thank you, Drew. Uh, I'm not interested in owning a monkey. Hopefully you're not selling one. Because yeah, I'm not interested. Okay, sixth question comes from JD Lopez. I told you we'd get to him. And this is a good construction. You've heard of the game Mary Fuck Kill. And he's kind of put it a different way. It's a podcast spin on this. It's called pod host kill. And so the pod part is you do one interview with one person. Host is you host a show in perpetuity with another person. So he's given me three options here and I have to assign them to each one of these. And the last one is you just straight up kill someone. So pod host kill. Who would I interview one time? Who would I host a show with in perpetuity? Who would I kill? And the choices are, (laughs) and this is diabolical, like he's such an asshole for this question, but okay, God love him. The choices are Paul Caroli, (laughs) who used to host Changing Denver and is now a producer at CityCast Denver, J.D. Lopez himself, and the two guys from Discussion Combustion Podcast. So pod host kill. Paul Caroli, J.D. Lopez, Discussion Combustion. Okay, well, let's think about this logically, or not logically. Let's do this fantastically and whimsically. Um, I think I'd have to interview once the guys from DCPC discussing combustion, even though I've interviewed them twice already, but I'm not, I don't want to murder them. And also I don't want to host a show forever because with them, because they have their own vibe. Like those two have cultivated their own vibe. Me with them. I mean, you, like that's adding poochie. That's like itchy and scratchy and poochie. I, I don't fit in with that. I love being on their show and I love talking with them. We have great back and forth. I'm not hosting a show with them in perpetuity. The person I am hosting a show with in perpetuity is JD. Because JD and I, we have sort of similar but complementary interview styles. He, when I was on his show, he would ask me like direct questions that I didn't see coming, which I really appreciated. Meanwhile, I'm sort of like very giving and very like And not to say he isn't, but like the way I get info from some of my guests is I will give of myself and that creates an invitation for them to be vulnerable and share something they might not have beforehand. So I think JD and I would play off each other. So that leaves the murder part. So sorry, Paul, but you're going to die. And here's why. You host the Denver Pizza Podcast. I told you about Oblios. And then you went and did an episode there without me. You didn't even fucking call me, man. Okay. So for that, you got to pay. What can I say? You're a talented host. You're a talented producer. You're a good dude. I adore you. But you know what? You're Biggie. You're Tupac, motherfucker. You're dead. 
You went to Oblio's without me. You didn't even fucking call me. You did the episode. That was my hood. I told you about it. Fuck off. You're dead. See you, Paul. All right. Good question, JD. Thank you. Number seven comes from one of my favorite artists. This is Chris DeMakes. He's the lead singer of Less Than Jake, uh, guitarist there. He also hosts Chris DeMakes, a podcast. One of my favorite listens where he interviews other songwriters about some prominent hit of theirs, and they deconstruct it. It's terrific. This is his question. When traveling longer than six or so hours by car, plane, train, boat, etc., do you bring baby wipes? <laughs> what? I used to when I traveled with babies. I don't now, but now I'm thinking, should I? Why am I not? What am I missing? And I didn't come up with a good answer. I put it to my wife. I said to Kristen, I go, hey, here's what Kristen makes sent me. And she goes, huh, should we? And so I go, yeah, I don't know. Roll that one around in your head because, again, I don't have a good answer for it. I can see some advantages to it. But baby wipes in particular, like you can't flush a baby wipe. Right? I mean, because they don't biodegrade. They don't break down in the toilet. It's terrible for the sewage system. I don't know. But uh, you've given me something to think about. Also, I'd like to give a note here about Krista Makes and Drew McGarry and Kyle Clark. These are people of, like, they're, they're quite busy and they've ascended very nicely in their careers. They're people of prominence. When I wrote to them, like little old me wrote to them, I got a response back from Drew in four minutes. <laughs> Krista Makes, I got back in like 15. Kyle Clark was by the end of the day because he's shown me his inbox. It's horrifying. Um, but he, he reads every email he gets and these folks are all really, really successful and they, they just, they respond. It's great. So if you think you're too busy, believe me, you're not, you can take a minute to, to respond to the people who, who write to you. So thank you, Chris. Um, I don't know what to do with that one, but man, now I'm never going to not think about it. (laughs) Like if I have a long trip, it's like, oh shit, should we go get some baby wipes? I'm sure Kristen and I will talk about this. We're going out of town here in a couple of weeks. All right. Last question. This one comes from Jackie Fouché. And Jackie Fouché was episode 293. She is Oshi Healthy, which is a health coaching business. She's also an instructor at Orange Theory. And I love this question because I'm going to take it as a compliment. But it's a good one to end on, too. The question is, pro tips on how to age but still say... Let me start over because I want to do it right. Pro tips on how to age but still stay super fucking cool. Okay. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Thank you, Jackie. That's very, very nice. Um, but how do you age and stay super fucking cool? Okay. When I thought about this, because I thought about this question probably more than all the others. I came to this. No matter what age you are, you kind of are who you think you are. Like, you always are who you think you are. And when it pertains to aging, think of it this way. If you think you're old and over the hill and it's too late to learn anything new or transition to a new career or, you know, pick up a new skill or whatever, you're right. If you think, no matter how old you are, you can get your ass in shape and start going to Orange Theory or let's say you want to start skateboarding again at 38 years old like my friend Steven does. 
or if you want to start learning the guitar at 40 and 41 years old the way my wife is, you can. You are who you think you are. Like, I didn't start getting tattoos until I was 39 years old. And in that time, I, I now have 10 of them. Like, I got a ton of them. I changed up my hair just recently into something that's a little bit more mohawk adjacent. And I'm thrilled with it. I love it. Kristen and I change up our looks all the time. Just get a refresh, right? You, you, sometimes you need to change from the outside in, right? Change something about your appearance or your manner or wear something that you go, should I really be wearing this? And I, I mean, as long as, fuck it. I'm not putting a, a qualifier on that. Wear whatever the fuck you want to wear and be like, this is me. So at any given point, Jackie, and anyone who is listening to this, you are who you think you are. Be who you want to be. Certainly no one else is going to do that for you. And so I love that shit. Like I took master class. Like I signed up for that right before the pandemic. Just because I wanted to like learn some cooking. There were some poker ones I wanted to do. Penn and Teller had one. So like I know a card trick now. Which, it's not a great card trick, but it's one that you can do at parties that everyone kind of goes, oh, that's fun. I don't really know how you did that. But, like, pick up a new skill. Be who you want to be. It is never, ever too late. Something I say on this show all the time, and something I say to people in real life as well, is whatever you want to do, do it this year. Because if you don't, you'll be one year older when you do. So go for it. Fucking try it. You are who you think you are. And if you think you're cool, and if you think you, you want to pick up a new skill, or you want to change your look, or you want to switch careers, or evolve in a brand new way, do it. If you think you can't do that, you're right. And I hope you're satisfied with who you are. But if you have that desire to change, you can. If you think you can't do it, you're right. So that's my answer. Um... The other nice thing, and here's a different way of answering that question. The older you get, the less fucks you give. And paradoxically, the more fucks you give. Because, and, and, and let me break that down. I give less about worry. Like there, there's, there's people's opinions about shit that you enjoy that no longer matter. I just really enjoy what I enjoy. Like, for instance, ska music, not a popular genre. Love the shit out of it. If you've never gone to a ska show, it's about the funnest thing you will ever do. Sometimes I would worry that people would think I was like some dork or something for really enjoying this music. I don't care anymore. I was a closeted pro wrestling fan for much of my life. I have no qualms talking about that. My entire office has like a billion action figures in it. I love that shit. I got punk rock tattoos because I wanted them and they make me happy. Those are not for anyone else. They're for me. I give no fucks about that. On the other hand, I give a ton of fucks about everything else. I care deeply about my kids, about my family, about my wife, about their happiness, their safety, their contentment, their fulfillment, their success. And that is my animating feature. It's that I give so many fucks that propel me to work hard. I love the work I do. I love the clients I get to work with. I have cultivated this show, this job, this life, this existence in a way where 
I am living my dream. And it's because I give so many fucks. When it comes to my taste and like my leisure pursuits and my aesthetic, no fucks. No one can say anything really that bothers me. I mean, I suppose Kristen could, but I care about her opinion. Or like if my friends are like, dude, you're kind of far afield with this one. It's like, yeah, all right, I'll dial it back. Like take the input of from those that you value, discard the rest. And man, if you can do those things, you've succeeded. And also thanks for, uh, for telling me that, hey, you may be old, but you're still fucking cool. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. I'm kidding. I know exactly what you meant by this. So, all right. Well, that wraps up the mailbag. Those are eight questions I got from my previous guests. I've got a ton more coming on Friday. So check out the mailbag. And on a closing note, let me just say this. Thank you once again for letting me be a part of your life. I have now spoken into this microphone for about 45 minutes, and that is too long. If you have made it this far, I deeply, deeply appreciate you. And who knows how long this will go. I have no plans to stop. I can't stop. I literally can't. I've tried to quit this show a bunch of times, but can't do it. I just, I love talking to people. I love highlighting their work. There's so much good work out there. Go and find it. And if you're not doing it right now, you are who you think you are. Become the one you want to be. All right. I'm not even going to do the traditional outro. I'll just tell you, thank you to Four Degrees for sponsoring this show from the get-go. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Check them out online. Anything you're doing online, they can help you do it better. Socials are J-O-A-T pod. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. And if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, wherever, hit that subscribe button. These episodes will come right to you. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. I adore you. And I'll see you back here real soon. Until I do... Say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.